Welcome to the Church of the Redeemers Weekly Podcast. We pray that you will enjoy this week's service, and we hope that you will follow us at www.cotrb.org, and may God continue to bless you. Hallelujah. Come on and bless his name. I tell you, the God that we serve is an awesome God. God will line things up that just blow, blows my mind. And I thank God what he has done already thus far in this worship service. Amen, somebody. Giving glory to God the Father, my creator. Giving glory to God the Son, my redeemer. Giving glory to God, the Holy Spirit, my sustainer. Good morning, Redeemer. Good morning. I don't know about you, but I am enjoying the worship service thus far. Amen, somebody. Amen. Amen. We are blessed. Yes, sir. For you can feel the spirit of the living God in this place. I had the privilege to preach somewhere else yesterday. So I'm extremely happy just to be back home again today. Amen, somebody. I, I, I want to just take this moment. Uh, we're in the, the last month of the year. And normally during the last month of the year is usually a time of reflection as we look forward to next year. And as I was reflecting on this year, I couldn't help but appreciate where God has planted me to serve in the Church of the Redeemer. I, I, I've got to thank God for the beautiful people that are here at the Church of the Redeemer. And we ought to give yourselves a hand. Amen. Amen. Well, let's get to this word. Uh, I know you have your Bibles, and you know it's my custom that I asked if you would keep it open because it's really the Bible that's going to do the preaching. But if you would turn in your Bibles to Matthew's gospel, Matthew chapter 2, we'll be reading verses 1 to 12. I'll be reading out of the New International Version this morning, and I know that you have words that are very similar. And just to show you how God has already lined this up is the hymn of preparation is the theme or the message of the sermon. Somebody ought to say amen. amen. Somebody ought to say amen. amen. Just to show you how God has already lined this thing up, as Pastor Campbell opened the service, he began to preach from my manuscript, which let me know that God has already lined this thing up. Somebody ought to say amen. amen. Man, you ought to be at Matthew by now. Amen. If you have a Bible that has headings. You'll see the heading that says, the Magi visit the Messiah, or words similar. Matthew writes these words in verse one. Matthew says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews. We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. Right. Verse 3, King Herod said, heard this, and he was disturbed, and all of Jerusalem with him. When he called together all of the people's chief priests and the teachers of the law, he asked them, where? is the Messiah to be born. Verse 5, they said, In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, For this is what the prophet has written, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, by no means the least among the rulers of Judea, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly, and he found out from them the exact time that the star had appeared. And then he sent them to Bethlehem 
to go and search carefully for the child. And as soon as you find him, report back to me so that I too may go and worship him. As they heard the king, they went on their way. And the star that they had seen when it rose went ahead of them and it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. Verse 11, our focal verse. On coming into the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. They opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Verse 12, having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. I would like to talk this morning real briefly about real worship. And if I could say it another way, I would say my worship is for real. My worship is for real. Real worship. Pray with me. Pray for me. Pray through me. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on me. God, I need your spirit. God, I need your power. Lord, I need you like the morning needs the sun. God, I need you like the river needs the stream. God, I need you like the beach needs the sand. God, walk with me this morning. God, talk with me this morning. God, take my lips of clay. Speak through them your divine word and precepts. Lord, lead me. Guide me. Show me the way. For if you lead me, I won't go astray. Have your way this morning. Lord, we love you. We praise you. But most of all, we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen, somebody. Yeah, I feel my help already. According to the Christian liturgical calendar, today is the second Sunday of Advent. You see, this, this season of Advent is a season of four weeks before Christmas. And this word, Advent, is from the Latin word, Adventus, which simply means coming. You see, as Pastor Campbell said, the season of Advent is a season of preparation for the coming of our King Jesus. Amen, somebody. In some Christian traditions, in the season of Advent, they would light a candle where they would have a wreath with four candles around the center and one candle in the center. These four candles, they symbolize the four themes of Advent. For there's the theme of hope, the theme of peace, the theme of joy, and the theme of love. You see, during the season of Advent, as we prepare ourselves for the coming of our King, that theologically we look backwards. In other words, we look at the coming of baby Jesus in Bethlehem. We know God always existed. In the seminary, we call this Christ incarnative. Yes, That's where God wraps himself in human flesh. Not only do we look backwards to Bethlehem, but we also, during the season of Advent, we look forward to the second coming of Christ. For we know that Jesus is coming back again. Yes, you ought to tell your neighbor, He's coming back again. But what I really love about the season of Advent, I love 
the hymns that we sing about the birth of King Jesus. You know, hymns like, go tell it on the mountain yes, that Jesus Christ is born. Yes, or, or, or hymns like, glory to the newborn king. Hymns that proclaim Christ is born in Bethlehem. And then there's the hymn that's a call to worship. It says, oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us worship him. And as him, like we sang this morning, joy to the world. It lets us know that our king is born. But if you really want to know what my favorite hymn is, it's Solid Night. Holy Night. And I'm talking about the Temptations version. Amen. Somebody. I can hear the harmony and the melody that says Christ, the Savior, is born. This Advent, I want to take a minute and look at this passage, the visit of the Magi, because this text is really a text about worship. You see, R.W. Scott, in his book titled Christ the Controversialist, he states that true worship is the highest and the noblest activity that we as human beings can do. He goes on to say that for true worship, it has to take place in the heart. And it can only take place in the heart of those who know who God is and know what God can do. I know that we came into this house this morning, no doubt with a burning desire to give our God all the worship and all the praise because we know who God is. We know what God can do. Yet, much that passes for worship today in our churches, sadly, if the truth be told, is not worship of God at all. A.W. Tozer, a pastor and a biblical scholar, he writes about the problem that he saw in many churches pertaining to worship. In his book titled, The Pursuit of God, Toza goes on to say that a great number of churches, that the art of worship has been entirely lost and it has been replaced with something or a title that's strange and foreign. Toza says that worship in many churches has been replaced with a word called program. All right. All right. You see, this word program was borrowed from the stage and it was applied with poor wisdom to the type of public service that now passes itself for worship in many of our churches. For in fact, the term Sunday church service has been replaced with the term Sunday worship service. And there's really little, if any, worshiping of God taking place. Some of y'all may be asking at this point, well, minister, what exactly is true worship? Or how would God have us to worship him? Or what is general, genuine worship? Ah, the only way to answer these questions is to seek to open God's holy word and seek to understand 
what the Bible teaches us about worship. You see, the first thing Scripture teaches us is that God desires our worship. In fact, God commands our worship. And we see that in Christ's words in John chapter 4 with the woman who's at the well. The woman is having a conversation about Jesus. And the woman asked Christ about the place of worship. But Jesus redirects the conversation and Jesus talks about the nature of true worship. For in verse 23 of chapter 4, Jesus says, Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. So first we see that it's God that seeks our worship. Secondly, we find similar words from Jesus. Just two chapters over in Matthew chapter 4. Matthew says, verse 10, Jesus said to him, Get away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and only serve him. This text is a text when Jesus was in the wilderness and Jesus was being tempted by Satan. And Jesus lets us know that God and God alone is the only one that we should be worshiping. You see, today, far too many of us are worshiping people. Right. We're worshiping places. Right. We're worshiping things. We worship our jobs, our position, our status, our bank accounts, our 401ks. For often time in life, we are worshiping the wrong thing. Scripture teaches us God desires our worship. Second, God and God alone is the only one to be worshipped. But the Bible goes on to teach us and tell us that God is not pleased with our worship. You see, true worship is a matter of of the heart it is not about a ceremony the Bible has a lot to say about unacceptable worship both in the Old and in the New Testament in fact the Bible has more to say about unacceptable worship than acceptable worship for in the Old Testament the prophet Amos would talk to the people about how God was not pleased with their feasts and their offerings because the people and their sinful hearts. In the New Testament, Jesus echoes similar words. Jesus says to the Pharisees, you, you honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. Your worship is in vain. You see, true, acceptable, and real worship is a matter of the heart. Our, our text this morning teaches us about real worship. It, it, it teaches us how to worship God. For I can hear the magi saying, my worship is for real. Somebody this morning knows what I'm talking about. Will the real worshipers that know that true worship is a matter of the heart, will you make some Holy Ghost noise? Right, yes. Yeah. Let me, let me share three points from the text. And I take my seat. Is that all right? 
I want to work with the letter W this morning. All three points will begin with the letter W. My first point is found in verses 1 and 2. Verse 1 and 2 says, and I hope you haven't closed your Bible. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, the Magi from the east came to Jerusalem, and they asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we came to worship him. My first point is the wise man. Text raises the question, who exactly are the magi? Some translation says, wise men. Who, who are they? Well, the magi or the wise men, they were a priestly group. And they were from the east, probably Persia or Babylon. But they were famous for their learning and their wisdom. They had mastered subjects such as astronomy, astrology, science, mathematics, and also theology. You see, they were familiar with Numbers 2417. That predicts that a star would signal the birth of the king of the Jews. For biblical scholars say that the wise men became familiar with the scriptures for their time when they were in Babylon. And you'll see that in the book of Daniel. For even in Daniel's book, King Nebuchadnezzar gave Daniel charge over all the wise men. And the wise men were able to see that Daniel's God was the real God. These wise men, when they saw the star, they went to the capital city of Jerusalem and they came to the place, came to the palace, the place where they thought that a king would be born. So we know a little bit about who they were, but I can hear you raising the question, well, why are they only in Matthew's gospel? There are four gospels, aren't they? Why are they only in Matthew's gospel? Well, Matthew, the gospel writer, is the only one to include this biblical narrative, the visit of the Magi's. You see, the wise men were very powerful, very influential, and very respected. In fact, in essence, they were what was known as the king makers of their day. You see, this group would come whenever there was a new king, and they would validate you as a king. You see, the story only appears in Matthew's gospel. Because Matthew is writing to a Jewish audience. And the purpose of Matthew's gospel is to present Jesus as the promised king of Israel. For Matthew in chapter 1 begins his gospel by providing proof of Jesus' kingship. He begins with the genealogy of Jesus. Reminding the Jewish people of the promise of Abraham and the promise of David. For the promise of David said that the king would be born in the line of David. That's verses 1 to 17. Then Matthew goes further and he gives them further proof. He begins to talk about the virgin birth in verses 18 to 25. Confirming the prophecy of Isaiah. Which brings us to our text in chapter 2. And what Matthew is saying to the Jewish audience that even the Gentiles, even the ones that validate individuals' kingship, even they recognize that Jesus is the king. Yes, sir. Well, you probably are saying, 
Well, why did the Magi and these wise men, why did they come seeking Jesus? Y'all asking some good questions this morning. You see, the answer is right here in the text. For verse 2, these two verses let us know that the Magi or the wise men, they came seeking Jesus. Text says they came to worship him. Can I pause for a minute and just ask you, did you come to worship God this morning? Did you come to give God all the glory this morning? Did you come to praise his name this morning? Did you come to give him the honor and the reverence due his name this morning? Did you come with a heart of worship? These, these, these wise men, these wise men teach us that today it is still wise to worship our God. My, my second point is the word. First is the wise man. Second is the word. Notice, if you would, the movement of the text. For in verses 1 to 2, they arrive at the palace and they're seeking to worship God. But here in verses 3 to 8, we see the reaction as well as the interaction of King Herod, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. In other words, those who are well-versed in Scripture. Verse 3 says, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. Now, I could understand why Herod would be disturbed. I, I, I can understand. You see, King Herod was not born king. He was not a legitimate king. Not only that, Herod was not a Jew. He was an Edomite. He had no right to the throne. He was placed or made king by Rome. So I could understand why Herod would be troubled. Being a power-hungry king, he saw Jesus as a threat to his throne. You see, history portrays him as ruthless, paranoid tyrant who thought everybody was conspiring against him. Now, if I could use my Holy Ghost imagination, and if I could paint a picture of what King Herod looked like, I would have to say he had orange hair, he had a bad tan, he had limited vocabulary. He had a pair of raccoon eyes. And he had a problem telling the truth. If I could just try to help you see what he looked like. But, but for the life of me, I couldn't understand why all of Jerusalem was troubled. I, I, I couldn't figure that out. In other words, initially, I would think because they're Bible readers that they would be ecstatic about the news that the newborn king has been born. But the text says, and all of Jerusalem was troubled with him. I, I, I couldn't get it. So I had to do what we call cultural exegesis and I had to dig a little deeper into the text in order to see what was going on 
in the text. You see, first of all, there were not three magi or wise men. There were not even three kings, as some traditions say. I took a minute and looked at the nativity scene over there, and there's three. And I understand why a lot of people take their scripture off of Christmas cards instead of looking at the book. The Bible never says how many. It only says that there were three gifts. Amen. Now, keep in mind, and I'm talking about historical exegesis. Yes, During that day and that time, it was not safe to travel on the roads with valuable gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So these individuals, they traveled in what we would call posses. In other words, there was an armed army. An armed army. So when this armed army began to siege on Jerusalem, the people became disturbed. Because they didn't know if war was going to break out. Which reminds me, and I, I, I got to pause. The king, because there's a newborn king, in other words, there's a new elected president, so the current king realizes his time is limited. His days are numbered. And when I saw about the people being troubled with him, I couldn't help but think about the Republicans who won't stand up and speak truth to power. People who won't have a backbone and say the truth. Amen. Let me keep it moving. Here we are. Here's what stood out for me. King Herod is an unbeliever who didn't know Jesus, but he had enough sense to know where to go to seek Jesus. Now watch this. He knew Jesus is in the word. All you got to do is open it up. Read it, and you'll find Jesus in the Word. Well, here's what Herod does. Herod calls the people who know the Word. He calls the chief priests, uh, the Sanhedrin, all of the teachers. Now watch this. When he gets all of the theologians together, Herod asks them, where is the king to be born? Don't miss this. They are able to answer the spiritual question with the right answer. For in verses 5 and 6, they quote Micah 5-2. Don't, don't miss this. The spiritual leaders, they show us that your knowledge of Jesus Christ in your head won't cause you to worship him. Here's why. In order to worship God, you can't worship God from your head. You've got to worship God from your heart. You've got to have a true heart of worship. For if they had a true heart, they would have a response that would be filled with joy and excitement. Let me, let me hurry, let me hurry. Verses 8 and 9, we see sneaky Herod call the Magi to the side. And he asked them about when exactly did the star appear. And we know if we keep reading further down in the next pericope, Herod uses that information to try to kill baby Jesus. Amen. 
For the wise men said, we've seen the star for two years. So as you keep reading, Herod puts out a decree, a decree, every child two years and under, kill him. So Herod, Herod tells him, listen, when you, tells him, go to Bethlehem. That's where the baby is born. And when you get there, tell me that way I could go and I could worship him. Now, can I, can I, can I pause again for a minute? Here's what I love about these magi. They, they, they show us that when you are about God's business, and when you are seeking God with your whole heart, God has a way of placing you in positions that even the unrighteous king will use the word of God to let you know according to the word where you can find God in Bethlehem. Here, 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 don't miss this. Harry says, as soon as you find him, let me know so I can go and worship him too. Oh, you caught it. You caught it. Listen to this. Look, watch this. Herod, you already got a picture of Herod. He's pretending to be a worshiper. Oh, my God. You see, in far too many churches, there are people Sunday after Sunday that are pretending to be worshipers. Somebody ought to say, my worship is for real. You see, when you're seeking the king, you can find him in his word. Let me begin to close, get to my third point. Third point this morning is verse 9 to 12. Third point is the worship. Allow me to focus on verse 11. Verse 11 says, on coming into the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and they worshiped him. They opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Notice, notice if you will, the text says, or doesn't say, that they came to the manger. No, for this happened after the manger scene. Yes, for in the manger, it was baby Jesus. But when these wise men, these magi, they come into the house, it's infant Jesus, toddler Jesus. For we see in the text that the Greek word that is used to describe Jesus is the word that is used to say a child and not a baby. The text says that they saw Jesus with his mother, but they bowed down and they worshiped him. This is where we differ with our Catholic brothers and sisters. For we don't bow down and worship Mary. We do what the text says, that we bow down and we worship him, the true king. Let me ask you a question. Do you know the difference between worship and praise. You see, praise, I praise God for what he's done, but I worship God for who he is. In other words, I like how my old pastor used to say, ah, my worship of God doesn't depend on how he blesses me. He used to say, whether I lived in the projects or the main line, 
He's still God. And he's still worthy to be worshipped. Whether I drive an old joker or a new luxury car, he's still God and worthy to be praised. These wise men show us that real worship is a matter of the heart. For the text says they bowed down because they knew who Jesus was. How do we know that they knew who he was? Y'all asking good questions. We know by the gifts they presented. For the gifts that they presented were gifts that were symbolic of who God is. Yes. You see, the gold is a representation of Jesus' kingship. For it's commonly known that gold is the currency of kings. You see, they gave him a gift that was fit for a king. You know that the king is able to supply all our needs. We know that he is the faithful and just king. We know he's the king eternal. We know he's the king whose kingdom has no end. We know he's the king of kings and the lord of lords because we worship him for who he is. They also presented him with frankincense. You see, frankincense symbolizes Jesus' divinity as well as Jesus as the high priest. For in the book of Hebrews, Jesus is called the high priest. For it was the high priest that would mediate on behalf of the people. For Jesus was not only the high priest, but he was also the priest and the sacrifice for Jesus paid the price for our sins. Lastly, they presented him with myrrh. Myrrh is used for embalming. It's a costly and expensive oil. It's symbolic of death. Scholars say that the myrrh foreshadowed the death that Jesus was going to have to do on the cross. For Jesus lets us know we are born to die before I take my seat. Yeah, I'm here. Yeah, I'm here. Real worship is when we praise God, when we honor God, when we show with a joyful heart and worship God for who he is. I know you got a testimony. I've been through too much not to worship him. Too much pain, too much loss, too much sickness. When I come into the house, I can't help but worship him. When I come, in his presence, I can't help but worship him. When I see Jesus high and lifted up and his temple fills the train, I can't help but worship him. You ought to bow down and worship him. Every tongue will confess every knee, every black knee. Every white knee, every Chinese knee is going to bow down and worship him. We worship him because of who he is. He's Jehovah Jireh. He supplies all my needs. He's Jehovah Shalom. He's the God of my peace. He's Jehovah Rapha, the God that will heal. He's Jehovah Nissi. The God that fights all my battles. He's Jehovah Taniskanu, the God of our righteousness. My worship, your worship is for real. Yeah, yeah.
worship him because of who he is. He's the one that took the sting out of death. He's the one that took victory from the grave. He's the one that they hung him high. They stretched him wide. They dropped him low. For you and me, he died. But the preacher would say that early, early, early Sunday morning, he got up. He got up. He got up. My worship is for real. Yeah. Woo. Yeah. Yeah. My, my, my. Read. These match eyes. They show us that they came seeking to worship. And when they came, they bowed down and they worship. And notice what the text says. That after they worship, as the Bible says, where your heart is, there you'll find your treasure. And because they knew who God is, they gave God the best that they had. And watch this. Verse 12 says, this is how you know they were men of God. That they said that God spoke to them in a dream. God told them, go back another way. The text is telling to teach us that when you bow down in true worship and you get in this thing with the Lord, that something's going to happen, that you're going to go back a different way. Yes, you will. Yes, you will. True worship. True worship. Yes. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the example of these wise men that tell us it is still wise to worship our God today. Lord, we give you all the worship, all the honor, and all the glory. We want to take this time to open up the doors of the church, and we want to extend to the individual who really doesn't understand why we get so excited, why we get so emotional, and why we worship our God. Now you're watching us or you're listening to us. And if you're a person that does not know Jesus in the pardon of your sins, and let me say that a different way in English. If you were to close your eyes today and to go into eternal sleep, if you don't know that heaven's going to be your home, then you need to listen to me a little bit closer. That means you are not saved. Today, now, is the opportunity to be saved. The Bible says in Romans that if you confess with your mouth, believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, that you will be saved. So if you're not saved or if you're not sure of your salvation, then simply repeat after me. I'm a sinner in need of a savior. And I believe that God raised Jesus from the dead to be my savior. If you've said those words and you are true in your heart, because God knows your heart, you may have given the preacher your hand. The Bible says that you will be saved. On that note, we asked that you would connect with a church where you have an opportunity to grow, glow, and go for Jesus Christ. An opportunity to be able to learn more about God's word. And we call that discipleship. So we asked you to connect with a church. We are the church 
of the Redeemer Baptist. If you would like to connect with us and become a member of this great branch of Zion, all you need to do, call the church on Monday morning. Matter of fact, call the church now. Leave a message on the answering service, your name and your phone number, and we will get back to you. The third and final call, and I did them a little out of order if that's okay, but the third call, you may know the Lord, but for some reason, you're disconnected from the fellowship of the saints, or you find yourself in a backslidden condition Meaning that your position with God is secure, but your condition, you are catching hell. I don't know if the pandemic has shaken your tent a little bit to make you aware there's a better place that you can be. And the saints of old would call that place the ark of safety. So we extend to you an opportunity to be restored that means reconnected to a right fellowship with God. If you would, call the church or even on this Facebook. If you can type a message, we would definitely respond to you. Because there's one thing we're serious about. And that's soul business. Amen, somebody. You're not watching us by accident. You're not listening to us by accident. It's by divine appointment. There's a pulling on your soul. God wants to be in your life. Today is the day. Is there one? Is there one? Live tomorrow differently. Live the new life differently. To worship him, I've been through too much now to worship.